The following was recorded in front of a live studio audience at the Studio 21 Podcast Cafe. This is the United Podcast Network. Welcome to the Quirky Dog Podcast, inspired by some of the quirkiest dogs you can ever imagine and the owners who love them. This podcast is brought to you by the quirky couple themselves, Scott and Jess Williams. Their aim is to educate and entertain. Here's Scott and Jess. Welcome back to the Quirky Dog Podcast. We got the, what are we talking about today? Uh, getting your dog to do things that he or she doesn't want to do. This was a Scott-inspired one. Because I run into this with the client dogs all the time. Oh, he doesn't like the crate. He doesn't like to walk on a leash. He doesn't like to eat his food. He doesn't want to do this, doesn't want to do that. And I say, well, that's really too bad. (laughs) We're going to make him. It's unfortunate that he doesn't like that. Do you not have your children brush their teeth when it's time to go out for, you know, basics? They got to do it. We're going to unpack it the whole podcast. But first, we're going to start with the quirky tip of the day. Why don't you go ahead and ponk the pig? He's winking. Okay. Quirky tip of the day was my idea. and uh, <laughs> Another Scott. This is a new book. It just came out. The gentleman's name is Young Pueblo, and the name of the book is Lighter. And Jess introduced me to this guy. I had a little bit of an attitude about him because he's a young, young man. He's probably, <laughs> he's around 30 or so, and he's written about three or four books on spirituality. And when we were doing our morning meditations, we would go through his book and Read a passage, and then meditate on it. And um, he's got a lot of good, he's got a lot of good stuff. You yeah, he does a lot of good. And it's young um, Y U N G. If you look for him, this one <laughs> this one is a little longer. I haven't even opened it yet. Oh, his even... book uh, Clarity and Connection had like these short little passages, and it was just perfect before yeah, we'll meditation. Never read this. No, we will read it, but we we don't do long passages before meditation. We're not good at that. But we just got lighter, so we wanted to share it with you. And the the um, thing on the front, the little uh, passage that they include is, let go of the past, connect with the present, expand the future. So check out Young Playblow and um, his book, Clarity and Connection, was a New York Times bestseller, and we're excited to delve into this, and we wanted to share with you. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it reminds me when I think about him being young and uh, his insights into spirituality and things like that. I remember hearing a woman ask sad guru uh, in a in a big seminar type setting about why are some people more spiritual than others or more some people have more insight than others and he and I'm not crazy about he's good too but his he's a little bit arrogant I think but he said that you know if you think about bubbles someone a kid blowing bubbles and some bubbles are big and some bubbles are small but when you pop the bubbles they're all made of the same thing they're all filled with air and pe- some people have a bigger presence in the world, and some people have a smaller presence, but we're all made of the same thing. Yeah. It's a nice way to think about that. Good one, hon. Thanks I just thought for I'd share the, that with the you. sad guru top. Because I'm kind <laughs> of a small bubble in a, in a <laughs> no, big world. No, you're not. No, you're not. Your bubble's getting bigger with young. <laughs> My okay. bubble's filled with smoke. Let's talk this up. So um, making your dog do something that he or she doesn't want to do, you mentioned kind of how you came to the origin of that originally. Um, where else does your head go with that? Because we're going to flush it out live because that's just how we do. Well, would you like to see the notes I came up with on the you way in? You can start sharing some notes. We can well, the first do thing a little I thought of riffing, was, as Gabby says. Is that what they call it now? That's what Gabby calls um, it. I like well, it. what I was thinking of when you said, oh, you know, make some notes on this topic of make something that uh, you make your dog do something it doesn't necessarily want to do. And no, I, let's the first do this thing, first one. I said the first one. thing, it starts with puppyhood. Yeah. 
you know, basic bathing, checking the ears, the nails, nail trims. Uh, puppies don't want to do most anything that puts control on them. Yeah. That's pretty normal, yeah. including putting a collar on the dog and a leash. And a lot of people, <clears throat> excuse me, they don't, the, you know, they get a dog that if they have a fenced backyard, by the time I get to see these people, the dog might be six months old. Never had a leash on him because it doesn't like the leash. Yeah, or maybe for one vet appointment for vaccines at like four and months. That's but, the easiest thing you can do. Yeah. I mean, even breeders are putting a collar, different colored collars on all the puppies so they yeah. can tell Just which one them. is which. And getting the dogs used to that kind of environmental stimulus. So, yeah, that's so true. When all of these things that are popping up, you know, surfaces, uh, a dog disliking a crate, a dog being fearful in a car, um, a dog, what's other stuff? Like swimming and treadmill I have on here, that's more broad and as the dog ages and everything else. But these are all things that people are like, oh, the dog doesn't like it. It's an aversive. This is a problem. There are things in life that, yes, the dog may not like, but the more that you just acclimate the dog to that and the more, the quicker you work the dog through that, the stronger the dog will be. And Scott is exactly right. If you have a puppy, this is the time to be like a lot of exposure, a lot of good stuff, a lot of cookies for all these things. Same thing with a rescue. If it is a rescue that is an adult at this point, start incorporating these things quickly. If the dog hates the crate, put the dog in the crate, feed the dog in the crate, make that the way the dog deals with the crate. If the dog doesn't eat in the crate, take the dog's food out. Start conditioning the dog to different things. And if the dog is terrified of tile floors, we have some dogs who are environmental, pet dogs can get environmental. If it's just this terrifying situation, just see if you can get the dog to go in, circle in, you know, like just halfway on the tile floor and off. Don't make a huge training thing out of it. I'm not saying drag the dog everywhere, but place the dog on the tile floor. Let the dog know, okay, you lived and then remove the dog. Like start incorporating it into the dog's life because the longer the dog say, no, I can't, no, I hate this. No, I won't. The more it just becomes who that dog is. And that is not what you want. A dog that says no to this, no to this, no to this and no to everything else. And you know, when we're raising kids, they're very, young and everything else. They're not communicating all the time with what they like, what they don't like. Parents are getting them to do a lot of different things. I'm going to hold the baby this way. The baby's going to sleep this way. I'm going to feed the baby this way. You're starting to mold different things. And when it's a puppy or even a rescue or something, people feel like they should be more hands off. Like, oh, I don't want to, you know, force the dog into a sit. You don't have to force the dog into the sit, but you can ergonomically be like, hey, I'm going to help you do this. And you did it. Yay. It was fun. You know, it's getting you touching the dog, the dog following your direction. These are all very important things of dog ownership. Yeah, absolutely. And it doesn't always have to be a happy party for the dog either. Yes. That's the other side of, that's the one thing people, you know, the, the other side of this, not making them do anything is that you quite often you're creating a really fearful dog yes. that is totally inhibited by everything and looks like a genetic mess when really it hasn't, it's all learned behavior. It's yes. not the dog is a genetic mess. And breeders deal with this crap all the time. Someone calls them, my dog is can't aggressive this, and this and that. that. Yeah. It has nothing to do with the genetics yeah. of the dog. Dog's a good dog, but you have not exposed hope, the dog you know, properly. Open this dog's mind up to new things, you know? Yeah. Um, and like we push this a lot because we're trainers and we really want our dogs to be well trained. But like things like when with our sport dogs, 
We will put our dogs in downs and we just have the hose like slightly. I'm not saying that we're like, like waterboarding dogs, but like we just have the hose or the sprinkler going like, can you do a down when the sprinkler's going? It's super fun for some dogs that like water that might like to grab the sprinkler, maybe a distraction, but things like that, like push your training. And I'm not saying this just for the people that are listening from a pet dog perspective, but if you are a high level trainer, sometimes you're going to put your dog in situations where things are a little bit scary. A common problem for agility dogs is the bang of the teeter. Dogs don't like the bang of the teeter. Start to expose them to that in a happy way. Someone's banging the teeter. You're playing their favorite game outside. Don't just put them in a room where they hear that bang over and over and over and over and over again and then expect them to go do that equipment. But start kind of playing around with how you can expand your training and generalize your training. So yes, you're getting your level of training to a higher level, but you're also tempering the dog and building the dog up and making the dog stronger. And mental toughness is something that we really firmly believe that dogs should have. And I think as humans, we're learning that we need to start acquiring it too, if we want to survive in the country and the world these days. Yeah. And I'll say most uh, dog owners are not trainers and don't care about training. So let's say that you, you know, you're not big on training. That's fine. That you're in the majority. But just bringing your puppy to the groomer and leaving them there would be a huge benefit to the puppy because the groomer has to get things done. They got 10, 12, 15 dogs that day. They have to get bathed, nail trim, dried, brushed out. And so they're not just going to, and they see it all the time. They see, oh, this dog is afraid of this. Come on, we got to work them through it. I just had a, a client calling me that had a dog that had some aggression issues, a rescue that she got. And she was going to bring the dog to the groomer. And she said... Uh, there was reactivity I, on the leash. Should I medicate the dog before I bring the dog to the groomer? I said, absolutely not. Bring the dog to the groomer. Don't say anything. Now, the dog hadn't been biting people, but it's showing fear and looking sketchy. And uh, she, she texted me yesterday and said, I brought the dog to the groomer. As soon as I gave the leash to the, to the groomer, the dog just marched in with a happy tail. The lady was petting the dog. Everything went great. She's, the groomer said that the dog showed fear of the high power dryer. She went to a lower power dryer, worked the dog through tons of stuff. So that visit was very good for this dog's head. The yeah. dog needed to be treated like a dog, and the dog rose to the occasion. It didn't blow its anal glands and have a big yeah. meltdown. It just dealt. And we're not saying to you know hide things from your vet or your groomer, but sometimes we're projecting a story onto our dogs that really isn't part of who our dogs are, especially when they've just recently come into our home. And, you know, Scott is the first person to say that whatever someone tells him about their dog, yes, he's going to take into account. He's going to use that information, process that information, but he's making his own record of the situation, right? Like he is not just saying like, okay, the owner says the dog's like this. It'll be like this with me. Sometimes people say my dog's perfectly friendly and the dog could come up and like, you know, nip or like things happen. It's not that the owners know everything, but as professionals in the dog industry, as groomers, as vets, as trainers, as everything else, we are the people who are supposed to be able to say, okay, like I can help you with this. I can give you confidence with this. Yes, extreme behavioral issues are separate, but when you are seeing dogs day in, day out, you're reading what you see. Okay, this dog comes right in. Great. He can go on a crate. He settles down the water. He's doing great. They're just working through it because it is their job. And sometimes as owners or pet parents or whatever you want to call it, you feel like, Oh, he must not like the water. Oh, he must not like this. Anything that the dog seems or that you're interpreting to seem to think that the dog doesn't like, you're immediately removing from the dog's life. And then the dog's world just gets smaller and smaller and smaller. And we see it day in and day out. And I will say that when, if 
you are this type of person where you cannot make your dog do anything that the dog seems to not like, it's a good opportunity to really take a look at yourself. Why is it so hard for me to see this animal in any discomfort at any time? Because quite often you can learn a lot about yourself through working with your dog. And yeah. I've, I've learned a ton about myself. And, um, you know, early on in my training and, and really not so much anymore uh, at all, but if I find myself getting short, getting frustrated, that's all on me. That has nothing to do with the dog, you know, but it's an opportunity for me to step back and say, okay, what's going on in my life that now I'm getting frustrated with this situation or that situation. And expand your patience and your consciousness and everything else. All right, let's go to break super quick. And when we get back, we're going to talk more about making dogs do stuff. Want to keep up with all the latest from the Quirky Dog Podcast like me and Murphy here? Then make sure you head on over to the YouTube channel and subscribe. Or if you prefer to listen to the madness, go on over to iTunes or Spotify and follow the Quirky Dog Podcast. And hey, while you're there, leave a rating and review and let them know what you think of the show. Until then, keep it quirky. All right, we're back. So I want to talk about this word make a little bit because a lot of trainers... um, dance around this word like oh you don't make like you know you you ask whatever else I don't know why make is an issue so like I was thinking of this in relation to just like life you make a promise your parents may say make your bed I'm gonna make it happen that's an empowering statement I'm gonna make it happen when I was in middle school I think it was um the superintendent, I don't know who talks on the thing every day. It was on the intercom, but the, the lady principal. every day, the principal, maybe the principal, I don't know how it all worked, but I think it was middle school. It was the principal. And every day she would say, make it a great day or not. The choice is yours. Like make does not have to have this connotation of like coercive force or something else. You know, you're making the puppies, the mother's making the puppies do things as they're getting raised. Like, no, you're going to come over here. No, don't treat your sister like that. Don't bite me that hard. You know, this is how we are teaching animals and we're teaching humans and everything else by making them do certain things. You're making your infant get dressed. The infant is an offering a freaking arm and, you know, getting dressed on its own. You know, if you are raising younger children, the two to four age can be tricky. Yes, their brains are developing. Yes, they need time. Yes, they need space. Yes, they need love and compassion. But you're often making those kids like, okay, we're going to put a shirt on because you're freaking going to daycare and you need to get dressed. So when you're so sensitive about a word like make, think of like, why? Why is that a problem? And we know personally, and this just is even within Maine, having most dogs that we have in all swim and they all go on treadmills, the sooner the dog just gets over the hump of the fear of like, oh my God, I'm in the water swimming or oh my God, I'm on the treadmill, the more it just becomes, it's life, like a common practice. Like if the dog is on the treadmill for its first session for two minutes, the dog is enjoying it normally by the third session, no problem because it just worked through, it just worked through the curve quickly. Same thing with swimming. The dog's in the water, it's on a long line, okay, it's swimming and it's, oh, okay, I'm doing this. Oh, I feel good doing this. I'm in the moment. They have to be focusing. So we know from all of our training that we're doing with animals, you know, outside of the home with swimming and treadmills are in our home and with training that the quicker you work the dog through the curve, the easier it is on the dog, in my opinion. And the reason that we feel that way, certainly the reason I feel that way is because having worked with so many dogs of all different ages, different backgrounds, we see them get on the other side of this relatively quickly. Usually it's very quickly. And if it's your only dog, and you're afraid you're going to make things work uh, worse, worse. Yeah. that's understandable. You're like, oh, the dog doesn't like it. I don't want the dog to be afraid 
of his crate because people have read online never make the crate a punishment never use the crate as a punishment or if your dog's crying he may not like the crate yeah Take all him these out. things you don't so want it to be an aversive so they're so concerned with having that dog being uncomfortable in the crate that now they can't use the crate anymore yeah. now they don't use it because the dog doesn't like the crate no. as an example let's talk about it in relation to the bed because i feel like quite frequently the pet cot comes up somebody yeah, orders I see a that. cot I see that quite a bit. Where you rarely see the dog um, finding it aversive to lay in the big, cushy, fluffy one, but they don't like the raised ones. And they have no trouble getting up on something because they hop right up on the couch. Yeah, or the bed. And lay on yeah. the couch. And that yeah. can be, you know, 20, 25 inches high or something. And they hop right up there. So I say, is the dog have a problem? They say the dog doesn't want to get on this dog bed that they've purchased or this pet cot they've purchased. The dog, And I say, well, does the dog have trouble getting on other things? Oh, no, it jumps up on this chair and jumps up. Okay, so it's not a physical issue. And uh, I will walk the... I'll try to lure the dog first thing with some treats. And I see, okay, the dog is for... And usually it has to do with whatever the people did before I got there. Because usually a dog will follow a treat if they're food motivated. They'll step up on the, on the dog bed and they'll take the treat. And usually it's not that big a deal. But if I see that they're like, no, I'm not, I'm not having it. I'm not doing this. Then I will make them walk over it and I'll use the leash, and I will move quickly. And uh, what I would, I have no problem with the dog hopping over the thing and not touching it with their feet. Because even when they go over it in the air, they're getting past it. They're closer to it than they want it to be, and they successfully get past it. So I'll make them hop over it two or three times, and then I'll turn it so it's long so that they get, they're not going to hop over it the long way possibly. But if they get two, three feet on it, and I'm not making them stay there, it's just on and off, on and off quick. And then pretty quick, they're, they're getting on there and I'm immediately feeding them. And usually, I'm no exaggeration, within two minutes, yeah. they're on the bed, yeah. they're eating treats, like, yeah. oh, this is pretty <laughs> yeah, cool. Yeah, I, I dealt. I didn't die. Yeah. And I, I'll see Scott frequently too, like I'm thinking about this in relation to like the agility table being out there. He uses a bunch of different objects, but he'll be getting on it too with the dog. Like he's stepping up onto the table, like, come on, we're doing it together. And the dog, his confidence and his, the way that he is leading with his direction and everything else is just making the dog feel like, oh, okay, this isn't going to kill me. And the more like taboo, I guess is a good word that you make something like the dog's like, oh, I'm afraid of it. Oh, come on. It's okay. Come on. And, you know, dropping a cookie to like lure the dog near it or, you know, just really putting a lot of effort into training it. Sometimes just like, getting up and over it is like, oh, okay. The dog's like, all right, I lived, I'm here. Great. I'm eating. And then it's all gone. Like, so those are little things that if you're struggling with something like that, maybe work with a professional, think, maybe do some soul searching, think like, well, what could I do to move this along quicker, set this up differently? And if it's something that your dog's hated forever, a certain cot, order a new cot and work it a different way with that new cop, but get your dog so they're not saying no thank you, or they're not saying F you, or they're not saying absolutely not, or I can't, or anything else. We want to empower our dogs. We want to empower our pet dogs. We want to empower our own animals. And the more that they know, hey, I can do this, and I lived, and I am better for it, the better off they are. And we see it a lot, a lot, a lot with the pet dogs that have a lot of loose stool, a lot of autoimmune issues, everything else. As soon as they get more confidence and they have more direction and everything in the world is not so scary and like literally setting them into this state of like, I don't know if I can handle it. Like I need to go have diarrhea. 
the better they are. And that isn't just like a short-term thing. That's something that is long-lasting. So we know that by giving dogs, you know, behaviors that can build their confidence and make them feel good and they can stabilize themselves. Like, oh, I can be on a dog bed for 20 minutes when people come over. They're actually getting better from a lot of different areas of their life. So be mindful of that. And I will say that helping a dog do something it doesn't want to do it also helps with your relationship with the dog because it establishes yes. a trust so that now when the dog sees something it's not crazy about and you're like, come on, let's do it. They're like, they're more likely to do new things that they're not comfortable with because you've helped them with other things and these are not things that are going to create this real negative experience for them. It's just, we see that it's an unfounded fear. It's just, yeah. some, it's a surface. It's something they haven't done before. So they're apprehensive. It's just like with a kid. You want to build them up. You want to expand their their world and their confidence level so they can just go out in the world and enjoy a jungle gym. If a dog's a kid's never been on a jungle gym yeah. and they're like, oh, I don't really want to do it. Well, if you get out there with them and you start swinging around on the bars, they might say, oh, this looks pretty cool. My yeah. dad's having a good time. And I'm glad that you brought that up because the trust factor of it is important. And then with that said, never put your dog in a situation that may not be safe for them, right? Like I'm thinking like, you know, a dog on an ice rink, like you skating around, like, no, there's not enough traction there. Like don't just throw a dog onto a super wobbly surface and be like, here you go. Like figure it out. Like walking on a teeter totter at the playground, never put your dog in a situation where it's going to be too much for them to handle. So temper it in such a way that like, okay, I want him to do this big, scary thing, but I'm just going to have it bang just a little bit this day. Or, you know, I just want him to walk through this room. Things that really are going to be okay and they are going to be safe with. Be very conscious of that, that you're not doing crazy stuff. That reminds me of, I had uh, more than one client, not many, but I've had a couple of people tell me over the years how they taught their dog to swim by just picking them up and throwing them in the pool. Yeah, not a good move. <laughs> tell them, it's a, if you don't want your dog ever to go in the pool, yeah, do that, that. that's <laughs> a good way to do it. Yeah. Throw them in there. They're going to be frigging petrified. They're yeah. not going to want to go in there anymore. Yeah. Most dogs. And this, everything we're talking about on this podcast of like making something happen has to do with like the dog is on a leash. Like you're connected. Maybe you're sitting there helping mold the dog. Like, you know, okay, here you're going to sit. Okay. You're going to down. Okay, great. The more that you're hands on and your dog's accepting hands on stuff. And I don't care if the vet can open the lips the same that you can, but we want you guys to be able to handle your dogs in such a way that you're safe. And we're making sure that the dogs are able to be cared for and checked out. Like ticks can get in, you know, your freaking gums. There's problems with feet. You need to be able to look at your dog's feet. Like being able to handle your dog is just a basic safety issue right now. And the sooner your dog is used to you being like, okay, mom does this, mom does this, you know, mom can flip me over. I can deal with all of it. And I trust her the better off the health of your dog will be and your relationship will be at the end of the day. Yeah. I can give you an example with Jimmy who is, he's a little environmental. He's very smart and he wants to please me. But when we had our facility in Lowell, uh, the window ledge um, was about, I don't know, maybe four inches wide. So I had been teaching him to get up onto all these different things and he was maybe 10 months old. So I helped him jump up onto the windowsill, which he was able to jump up there, no problem, but it was so narrow that he'd get all stressed out and fearful. So as soon as he hopped up there, I'd help him stay on there by just keeping my hands on him, give him some treats. And I think you probably even lifted him on the let first few get, times. Just let him get comfortable yeah. standing because he had to use his balance. And, uh, and then I'd get him off of there. And after I got him on three or four times, 
he would just hop right up there and be standing on this little narrow ledge, all excited that he did it on his own. You yeah. Know? And it's, it's just confidence building. And that was a good lesson for him when he was young. Like, oh, this was environmentally concerning. And then I worked through it. So if there's things that your dog doesn't like, the car is a common one. Dogs may not like going for rides. They may get fearful in the car or something else. Think about like, okay, I'm going to take five minutes, like once a week and I'm just going to lift the dog into the car. If you're capable of lifting the dog into the car, maybe the dog's going to jump on the floorboard of the front seat. You're going to sit in the car for five minutes, go back in the house, like start like facing these battles that you're avoiding because what starts to happen is now, you know, it's, you're removing, okay, I can't go for a walk because the dog doesn't like the noises on the street. I can't go for a car ride because the dog doesn't like the car ride. I can't have the dog, you know, I can't have people over because the dog gets fearful when people are over and there's dogs hiding behind the couch. Like it just becomes well, what can I do? And the whole point of having a dog is that you can take him out and about and enjoy him and the dog enjoys life and everything else. So if you have these little battles or you've heard these little stories from your rescue or something else, don't allow it to infiltrate your mind and that like, no, this is a limiting belief. My dog will never do this. Like this is just how it is. Start to come up with a plan of action so you can help your dog become more confident and work through some of his fears. And as Scott's saying, and it is so importantly true, it helps your relationship. (laughs) The more that you work through stuff together, the more your dog trusts you and the better of a symbiotic relationship you have, in my opinion. Yeah, I was going to say getting, putting the dog in the car. A lot of dogs like the car, but people that get puppies, they have to put the dog and pick the dog up, put the dog in the car. But as the dog gets older, the dog never learns to jump into the car. Yeah. So now you have an, an adult dog or a full-size dog, maybe it's just 12 months or so, that just goes and puts his paws on there and then waits for you to pick up the rest of them to put them in. And I've had many people say the dog won't get in the car. They have to, but then the dog is so big that they barely can pick. The, I have a Newfie client. The dog is already hurting her. You know, it's can hurt yourself large picking dog, this dog large up. Large dog, yeah. The dog loved the car, but just waits to be picked up and put in the car. And I had her get in, the, and we knew the dog could jump because, again, this dog jumps up on furniture, has a, no problem uh, physically. So I had her get in the back of the car, and I ran and just kind of gave the dog direction with the leash, only about six inches from his neck. She's calling the dog to her. She's got a bunch of treats in the car, and boom, the dog jumps right up in. And then I picked him up and lowered him to the ground because he was young still. But we did that a few times, and it was no problem. The dog just flying right up into the car. And that is a good thing to bring up, that if you do have a car issue, if you're trying to address it outside of the car, like, for instance, if you don't have a hatchback, Scott's, like, mentioning a hatchback here where the person can sit in the back seat and the dog jumps into the hatch. If you want the dog to be getting into the back seat or into the front seat, we would always recommend you go to the other side. There's a long line. There's someone over there supporting the dog. So you have like a lot of momentum and joy to get to the other side, right? If you're both there and you're like, come on, get in the car, the dog may not have the motivation to go. But if the owner is standing on the other side of the front seat, like, come on, you can do it. Half the time they just like leap in like, hooray, I'm with my mom. And there's this big joy at the end of the tunnel. So these little things that are popping up, And please, if you have a puppy, expose them to as much as possible. Like this is just the bottom line. Like get them out, make the experiences happy. It doesn't have to be big, crazy training experiences. But the more the dogs are accepting things at a young age, especially if they're going to grow up to be maybe a stronger breed, the better off your working relationship will be. Because this always starts from the very first moment you see your dog and then it can get a lot better or it can get a lot worse. And more often than not, we're seeing it get a lot worse these days. And that's why we wanted to bring this topic up. Do you have anything else to say on the topic, Love? Well, I think maybe one of the things that got me thinking about this was just dogs that freeze up on the leash or lay down. 
mm-hmm. don't want to walk on a leash. So they've learned that if I lay down, they're going to stand here for as long as I, until I'm ready. Or they pick the dog up and walk the dog home in their arms. Mm-hmm. That's what it was. It was a big lab. Oh, and they that The it. owner would just have to, it was a young guy, he was like 25 years old. And he'd pick this dog up and carry it home because it just refused to walk anymore. And there was nothing physically wrong with the dog. Yeah. And um, when you, if the dog lays down and you're in front pulling them towards you and they're looking at you and they're not going to uh, get off the ground, obviously you're not going to drag them on the sidewalk. I mean, that's abusive to the dog. But what I've always done that has worked well is getting completely in their blind spot right off their tail and popping that leash. Come on, let's go. And by them just turning to look at you, gets them halfway up off the ground. Yeah. And they may turn and get up and lay down that way. Okay, I'm going to go the opposite. You're going to get them so that their feet are up and they start moving around. And it works well for me. But one of the reasons also it works well for me is they don't have a history with me of getting picked up. And they learn with me, you're not getting picked up. You're going to come with me and I'm going to, everything you do, I'm going to counter it. And then they're like, okay, I guess... This isn't going to work with this guy. (laughs) You know, they just have a habit with, okay, I'm going to lay here and then mom or dad's going to pick me up and carry me home. And if you have those types of issues and you're not working with a professional or maybe you're not working with a professional that's as proficient as Scott and Scott is very good at what he does. He's been doing it for a long time. Put the leash on the dog. Go out in the backyard. Put the leash on the dog. Walk around the house. See if you're getting that same behavior because half of the time the dog's like, all right, like I got it. I'm going to do my big ham behavior. It's going to be so funny. All the crowd is going to laugh at me. Like I'm going to start doing my antics and it becomes a game. So if you're seeing behaviors like that where the dog's stopping or laying down or something, try to walk your dog in the house. Try to walk your dog in the backyard. Get reps of it not happening because the more it happens, the more it's going to be the dog's go-to. And dogs do get out of behaviors. They're very smart. They learn that if I do this sort of vocalization, I don't have to do it. If I look a little sad and trembly, I don't have to do it. We see it. It happens. So make sure that you have a plan when your dog says no. How can I maybe get the dog to say yes? And as quickly as possible, because more often than not, the less time that you take to introduce this big, scary thing again, the better off the dog will be, at least from what we've seen. Yeah. And a lot of people, you know, the tendency is to lure, try to get the dog motivated by a food reward because it probably did work at some point, but then the dog decides, no, I don't like that treat. Well, now you're back in the same position where you're holding, you got cheese and like, come on. And the dog's like, no, screw you. I'm I'm, not doing it. And I'm just going to make the final point here. From a training perspective, you pulled out food after the dog gave you the middle finger. The dog blew you off. Now you're pulling out treats. Yeah, like literally like, oh, okay. If I do this, then the cookies come out. So be conscious. It's not that food is not great. And Scott just frankly said that his first go-to is often luring a dog to get onto a bed. But if the dog doesn't want food or if the dog's still afraid of something, it's still getting on the bed and it's still working through that and it's still becoming more confident within that first session. So be very thoughtful of how you're addressing these things. I want to say luring is happening before they've resist. They've, they're not yes, helping yes. me. Luring they don't is know the what they're go-to. doing. Yeah. I'm just trying to move them around with a treat. Yeah. And if they're... It's not that they've put on the brakes and then yeah. Scott's like, oh, Jess, yeah. bring out the hot dog so I can train the dog. And it's the same situation if the dog is laid down on the sidewalk and isn't going to move and I go behind him and I start popping the leash and trying to, come on, let's go. If they get up and turn and come towards me, I'm giving them a treat. Yeah. So now I'm still able to use reward, but I'm letting them know you're not going to get away with just laying here on the sidewalk. Yeah, you're going to get up gonna, and that's do not something happen. for me. Yeah. All right, you guys, have a great week. We will see you next week. We have a special guest coming on I'm excited about. And in the meantime, not only purchase lighter, but keep it quirky. <laughs> Take care. 
The views and opinions expressed by the hosts, guests, or callers of this program do not necessarily reflect the opinions of the Studio 21 Podcast Cafe, the United Podcast Network, its partners or affiliates.